This podcast is brought to you by the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great shows on our network, head over to the den.show. Hold on, stop. Welcome back to the shit show 2.0. Okay, boomer. Damn millennials. Wow. <laughs> Did not know that. Even flirters who who are obviously mentally ill. You want to be my wife? Oh, this is gonna go downhill real quick. What is going on? And welcome to Take On the World with Lexi and Mike D. Again, John is not with us. Um, nope. Uh, Love Bug is not here either, which is a shame because we are doing another wrestling topic. We are. And we are not turning this into a wrestling podcast. It's just once I went down the rabbit hole of research and the history, it brought up a lot of emotion for me. Mm-hmm. So um, Lexi actually came up with this topic. Um, so I guess to preface, we'll say we knew that John was bailing this week. <laughs> and. Uh, Love bag, it already. Love bag. Love love bag. <laughs> yeah, love bag. The douchebag. Love bag had already said that he would not be able to make it this weekend. So we're kind of deciding what we wanted to do. If we're going to go ahead with it, we don't really want to wait because you did all this research for these topics. And I said, okay, well, what if John's not coming? How about we just pick two of our favorite wrestlers and talk about them? So, uh, let me just re- remind everybody we are on the Deluxe Edition Network. Uh, check out the Den Dot Show, the Den Dot Show, the Den, uh, the February mm-hmm. Spotlight Podcast is Deluxe Edition, mm-hmm. yet another pop culture podcast. Uh, I love these guys. Uh, Casey has been a friend of mine. He was actually a wrestler. Um, Did I ever meet him? Exactly. God. Yeah, that's Casey. Really? Yeah. No way. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Casey's actually the one who got me into podcasting by having me on his podcast, his Chicken Duck podcast. Thank you. Um, and I, I enjoy doing it so much that uh, even if Lexi and John aren't here, I'm going to go ahead and go by myself. Uh, anyway, they do a lot of cool stuff. They have, they do interviews with pop culture icons. Like, I people... I would consider pop culture icon. Yeah. Um, uh, oh goodness. Uh, Scarrett from Top Gun. He was the uh, the commander. Or he was the one in charge. Uh, they uh, the guy from Beastmaster. Okay. And he was oh, also in D. Um, who else? Uh, I can't remember their names. Uh, O'Mallory, who was Amal Muzz in Dragnet. Okay. Yeah. Um, we have two podcast therapy dogs. We have Coco down here who is camera shy, <laughs> and we have Ali Wally, who is a code boy, so he is hiding in the shirt. Fix the ear for me, please. Oh, he's hard in ear. Um. So, Deluxe Edition Network. Yes. Podcast of the month is Deluxe Edition. Yet another pop culture podcast. <laughs> I love listening to it. As soon as they put one out, I'm on it. So. Uh, check out their their catalog of, of shows because there's some really cool interviews on there, 
And I think they do a great job of interviewing. And then they've also done some uh, other shows on uh, 80s movies, horror movies, stuff like that. Cool stuff. Check them out. Um, so I approached this topic that Lexi brought up, favorite wrestler. We, we had to pick two favorite wrestlers. And for me, that's really hard. I just said two because I knew if we were going to talk about our favorite wrestlers, we would be here for years. Yes. We might be here for years anyway. Um, for you. I kept mine nice. Mine are nice and concise. I have some nice things to say about both of these wrestlers that I chose. Um, in addition to, but mine are very concise. So, the way I approached it is I approached all time my favorites uh, based on their influence in wrestling. And, um, because, like, if, if I if I thought about it, there's like a thousand people I could pick. Yeah. And that's kind of how I thought, too. And, and they all be different for different reasons. If, you know, is it my favorite technical wrestler? Is my favorite person wrestling personality? Yeah. Is it my favorite uh, wrestler with ring psychology? Because if you go in ring psychology, it's Jake the Snake. Yeah. Because Jake the Snake was a master at controlling the crowd and uh, dominating in the ring. Yeah. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page was like that, too. Yep. EDP. Um, there were, if I'm talking about my favorite personalities, um, you have a guy like The Rock, which you know everybody's a little The Rock, but I like no, The Rock. I love The Rock. I like The Rock when he was Rocky Maivia, and nobody liked him. Okay, but here's the thing, and it's because the character was so good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I went a little more old school. Uh, how did you approach it? Um, I gave myself a very strict uh, guideline, which was my two favorite uh, modern female wrestlers. Okay. Um, so Woman I... Power. Yep, I chose two modern female wrestlers that I feel like all around from anything that I've seen in like... I follow both of these wrestlers on social media like I have since they debuted, pretty much. Right. And I really like them both as characters, and I think I like them both as people based on what I've seen as well. Um, so I chose them for those reasons because I feel like they're, there hasn't always been a lot of like really, I don't want to say like good female role models in wrestling, but there aren't. <laughs> because of, I mean, the ease of how you can put a woman into a story. You know? There are just, like, so many easy routes to take, and in some cases, both of these, like, both of these wrestlers have been heels. They've both been, like, hated in the ring, kind of. Right. So I feel like it shows, like, you know, that's not the, the personality that you put on the ring isn't necessarily what's going on on the outside. Right. And I feel like for some wrestlers, that's not always true. Especially, like, back when you had people that, like, like the, when the industry wasn't as, you know, fleshed out as it is. Like, and I mean, even, we talked about this last episode, but even now, you don't really uh, have, like, a like a clean drawn line for you know what your wrestling has to be. We just have like a good idea of what we like. Right. And 
and that's that's when things were just kind of like, uh, I don't know, try this, try that, and we'll see how this goes. Um, I feel like there were there were not as many uh, as many good role models for for girls in in wrestling, like China. <laughs> no, well, I, I, she was a great wrestler. Uh, she's an okay wrestler, but I think, I think Lita was better than she was. I think so too. As a wrestler, I think she was more well known. She had some in ways luchador skill, which I liked. Yes, and um, but I, I think I've I often said when when I'm watching wrestling, when I watch the female matches, the women matches, because I, I dislike them. So it's, and that's like the hard part, but I feel like both of. I feel like for me, both of the the women that I chose have good skill. Okay. So why don't you pop off your first one and then I'll jump in with my first one. Admittedly, I did do a little bit less in the research department for the first one than I did the second one because the second one I did just had like a lot more. She has like a, a longer history. So the first female wrestler that I chose is Alexa Bliss. Um, her name is Alexis. She goes by Lexi, so I feel like I have, you have a connection. A connection. Uh, Kaufman. She was born in 1991 in Columbus, Ohio. She's a baby. She's a baby. She's only three years older than me. Um, so she signed with WWE's Performance Center and Developmental Brand NXT, which um, is based out of Florida. NXT does travel now, and they do takeover matches in different cities. So they do, like, takeover Brooklyn, New York. They do, like, takeover in, um, you know, like, San Francisco, stuff like that. They go to, like, bigger cities most of the time. But I believe for the house shows that they that uh, WWE still does, NXT is usually one of the opening matches. They usually have an NXT match in our uh, house shows as well. Okay. So that's their developmental brand. She signed with them. In 2013, this was this was her debut as a wrestler. It was in 2013. She didn't have um, like any other. She didn't like wrestle for any other promotions or anything before this. This was her debut. Um, she, she trained with like. Yeah, she started with the Performance Center. I don't know where it didn't. So with Alexa, there wasn't a whole lot of information on her page about what she did before WWE. Okay. So I don't know that there was a whole lot to say. Like, it didn't say any, like, promotions that she was with or anything like that, which leads me to believe that she didn't really have a whole lot of, like, uh, show experience before she started with NXT because my second choice, that's pretty much half of the research that I have is based on the different promotions that she used to be in. Okay. And, um, they're both still currently wrestling, so it's, like, both sides, kind of. So her main debut roster was on SmackDown in 2016. I believe this is right after the second brand split happened, or right before. So she became a two-time SmackDown Women's Champion, and the first woman to hold the title twice. Was the title just created during the second brand split? Sure was. <laughs> Do I care? Absolutely fucking not. Look at her go. Thank you, Alexa. As Elle Woods would say, snaps for Alexa. <laughs> she is awesome. I really do like her wrestling. She 
was notably a heel for most of her first run, like her first gimmick in SmackDown. She was kind of like a, just a bitch <laughs> to the other female wrestlers, which was like her gimmick. Like that was her thing, like, oh, well, I'm better than you anyway. Um, so she first woman to hold the SmackDown Women's Championship twice. When she was sent to the Raw side of the brand, because that's that was a common thing during the brand split, is they would have like roster change ups and ooh, you guys have to trade people and yeah, the drafts and all that. <sighs> so one of the drafts sent her over to Raw, and she proceeded to also dominate there. And she went on to have three title runs with the Raw Women's Championship, and she joined a tag team with Nikki Cross called the Iconics with two capital I's, and they won the Women's Tag Team Championship twice, setting more firsts for women's WWE history. She was the first person to hold the first woman to hold the Raw Women's Championship three times, and she and Nikki Cross were the first tag team to hold the Tag Team Championship twice. Okay. Um, so, holding the Raw Championship for a time, three times, the SmackDown Championship for a time, twice, and the Tag Team Championships, twice, by the time that this happens, in 2019, that made her the second women's Triple Crown Champ. So, earlier in 2019... WWE came out with the Triple Crown Championship, which is award the Women's Triple Crown Championship, which is awarded to a female wrestler in WWE that has been the Raw Women's Champ, SmackDown Women's Champ, and Women's Tag Team Champ at some point. So it's like uh, the Triple Crown with horse races. So they're saying that women wrestlers are like horses. I mean, that's probably pretty accurate. Pretty <laughs> in here, but so. She was the second Triple Crown because Bailey, another female wrestler that debuted around the same time as her from NXT onto the main roster, um, Bailey held the tag team championship before Alexa Bliss did, even though she did not hold both of the other titles before her. But because she held all three of them at some point, before Alexa Bliss held the third one, she got it first. Okay. So she's the second... Triple Crown. Triple Crown champ. Um, and that's all that I have for Alexa Bliss. Because, like I said, she only had information on her page about her WWE run. Now, aside from what you see in the ring or on the TV, um, Alexa Bliss also works... And I mean, most... WWE wrestlers do work with things like Make-A-Wish Foundation and other kinds of charities, um, things like that. But she does she does a lot of that work on the side as well, and she's really into it because like she, she looks at it like she achieved her dream by being on WWE, and she like her thing, and she has. I don't know how Alexa Bliss still works for WWE because the amount of times that she breaks character in ring after she wins a championship or something, like, 
it's mind-boggling, but it's also so amazing because she was sit there and, like, you can see her tear up. And she's just like, this is my dream. Yeah. Like, I am so happy to be a part of this brand. I'm so happy, you know, to have the co-workers that I do, essentially, in whatever way that she would say it. Right. But, like, she has said that so many times, like, when she was supposed to be a heel and she got uh, the SmackDown championship, it was like, is she allowed to do that? We're, like, waiting for them to cut? Because, like, this is on... I don't remember exactly what it was, but this is like on TV, right? So we're expecting them to like cut or something or, you know, there's some twist, but it wasn't. It was just very genuine. And that's why I, I really like her. She had a gimmick for a while where she had kind of like Harley Quinn hair where she did almost like a lot of times they were like, just kind of slightly askew because I mean, you're in the ring anyway. Yeah. They're going to get askew, but she had two pigtails and she did um, the tips of one side blue and the tips of the other's pink. So she had like a Harley Quinn kind of gimmick going on for a while. Okay, I have seen her. She's like she always like looked a little bit unhinged, kind of, and I really liked that gimmick. I thought it worked really, really well. Because when I looked her picture up, I'm like, I don't know this girl. Yeah. So she, I've sent. They might have been even featured in the same video because I know I've sent a couple like high flying. Is that her? Yeah. Her her hair when she debuted it was always in pigtails. She wears it down a lot now, and she's worn it in a ponytail as well since then, but. <laughs> um, but she has done like a lot of high flying maneuver stuff like that. Like she's she's really good at that kind of stuff too because she's tiny. She's five one. See, and that's what I that's I think that's one of the reasons like women's wrestling because of the height difference. Mm -hmm. The ring is not made no for them. So when she stands against the ropes, it's hitting her neck. It's not hitting her back. Yeah. Because she's so small. She's so small. She's 5'1", and I think she's billed at like 104 pounds. And it's like, you throw 104 pounds off those tight ropes that are meant to hold 350 pounds, it doesn't, they're, they're not giving it. So it looks like she's like hitting the ropes and kind of running off them, instead of hitting the ropes and being propelled off them. Yeah. And I think, like, she's kind of used that to her advantage, too, where, like, the Iconics in their tag team, they they do a lot of, they did a lot of cheap shit. <sighs> were they bad people? <laughs> They were heels, well, because they were the Iconics. They were better than everybody. They did it better. They could do it better. They would do it better, kind of thing. Was their name Marshall on Mudbug? No, oh. but they certainly had the attitude. Um, so they were kind of like, uh, oh, we won by count, but we we still won. W's a W. Yeah. A win's a win. Sorry, loser. Or, like, they'd be, like, the one who would have somebody come in and, like, somebody would interrupt the match and somebody would get disqualified and they'd win by disqualification or something. Or, like, you know, the people who they'll, like, uh, run to the side of the ring and put their teammates' foot on the rope when they're getting counted out or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. one of those kinds of things. Like, they were those kinds of tag team. So, they did a lot of that kind of stuff and I really like that too because she was, she's always been kind of portrayed as like a little bit more squirrely because she's smaller and she has that speed. Um, and I think that, uh, I didn't really, I don't really like Nikki Cross. I never really liked her, but I mean, I liked the Iconics because it was Alexa and I'm sure I bitched about him because I just, I don't know. I don't think I really like heels in that, like, I don't like those kinds of heels. Huh. You know what I mean? Like, I like heels like The Undertaker. See, there, there, there's there's a thing in wrestling called a tweener. 
Yeah, and that's kind of. And I think you, you got like Stone Cold, who was obviously a heel. Oh yeah, but he supposed he, to be. But he he really got a baby not. face pop every time he came yeah. out. I guess he wasn't. So he's a tweener. Yeah, he's someone in between. Um, and I think that stems from uh, something else that I really love, which is Star Wars, where I've always kind of liked the idea of a gray Jedi. <laughs> a gray Jedi. <laughs> you know, we're not the light or the dark. We're the gray Jedi. Like, we just, like, don't fucking bother us and we won't bother you, bro. <laughs> don't bother me. I won't bother you. I like the kind of heel that's kind of, like, indifferent to other people mostly. But if you're in my way, you're in my fucking way. What? Yeah. So I think that's kind of why, like, I, I don't necessarily like the types of heel that Alexa Bliss is typically portrayed as, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure she also did have a run with Bray Wyatt while he was still in WWE, and she did like his like weird Wyatt family thing. Yeah, that was weird. Um, I'm pretty sure she did that for a while. That was pretty cool, but it's cooler for her to do it than for somebody like Bray Wyatt, where it's almost like a little bit creepy because she's a cute small girl. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, like, I love her to death, all the power to her, but she is a small, cute woman. Like, you can do her makeup, and it's going to look great. Do her hair, it's going to look great. Bray Wyatt's hair was always not done. <laughs> and I mean, like, makes sense, right? Like, that wasn't his gimmick, but the gimmick, for me, anyway, works really, really well. When you can kind of, like, dress it up a little bit, where it doesn't just look like... Somebody walked out of the cornfield across the street and tried to murder me. <laughs> I feel like maybe it's it goes back to that thing where it's like a horror that is too realistic for me. I don't like. Okay. I don't know. But so she's, I feel like she's very flexible. She's had a lot of different kinds of gimmicks. And I feel like a lot of talent doesn't succeed when WWE puts them in a situation that is kind of against the character that they want to be. And I don't know that I've seen that problem too often, like, because even I find myself being like, oh, I fucking hate Alexa Bliss, like, when she's up there doing a fucking promo or something, and or, like, they, they were really big into vignettes again for a while when everybody's making their debut. Like, all those, like, she's just standing in the ring like, who are you? And it's like, I fucking hate that! But that's what they're supposed to do, like, they're supposed to make you hate them. Yeah. And so I feel like she's a good heel, I don't know. If you can make people hate you, you're doing a job. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I also love her simultaneously at the same time, so. Tweener. Yeah, you're doing great. All right, so. <laughs> That's my first. My first one. It's going to be three pages long. Oh, it's. Oh, my God. I just looked at your page count. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many pages I have on here? Four. Four. Because three. I... I, there's three. Well, I started on page four with mine. Yeah. So. But there's a reason for that. Your young lady has been in the business for nine years. Well, exactly. And when we get to my second choice, I talk about that a little bit more where you almost kind of forgot that she had a different time frame in WWE. My number one was born in 1935. Wow. That's only like a couple of years from when you were born. Yeah. Uh, Bruno San Martino. Uh, it when, when we talked about this, I'm like, uh, like who who can I say was like I remember the most, and like I wanted to made me want to be a wrestler, and it was Bruno San Martino. 
uh, he was born in Abruzzo, Italy, in October 6, 1935. He and his family hid in the mountains during World War II from the Nazi soldiers. Which is amazing. Uh, he moved to the United States, to the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What? In 1951. Oh my God, did you know you've been to Pittsburgh? Have you? Yeah. Get out of here. Uh, he was kind of sickly for years of, of hiding in, in the, the mountains. Right, like you, you, you become small and like, have you ever seen pictures? He had a slight frame. Uh, he, he had broken English because he, he, he learned English when he got here. Right. It made him a target for bullying in school. Which is complete bullshit. Because, like, I speak a whole second language. What are you doing, Jimmy? Picking your nose? Gee. So, he devoted himself to weight training. And with that powerlifting prowess that he had, he it almost earned him a spot in 1956 U.S. Olympic team. That's amazing. Um, he was edged out by Paul Anderson, who outweighed him by 70 pounds. So, you got someone who's 70 pounds you heavier than somebody- him. 70 pounds heavier than Bruno San Martino yeah. to take his place in the Olympics. <laughs> so his high school did not have a wrestling team. Uh, so he worked out at the University of Pittsburgh with their wrestling team under legendary coach Rex Perry. Uh, he, he was known around the Pittsburgh area for doing strongman stunts and even appeared on a television show doing the same thing. Uh, that appearance on that show grabbed the attention of wrestling promoter Rudy Miller who recruited him for professional wrestling. Okay. Uh, Bruno began wrestling for a local promotion with a local TV presence. Uh, It was studio wrestling on uh, WIIC-TV, Channel 11. Oh, I remember. In 1959. In 1959. (laughs) And he became an instant star. Uh, The territory was owned independently of Vince Senior's New York-based WWF, but eventually uh, Bruno was brought into the WWF, uh, and he worked with such national stars as Gorilla Monsoon, uh, Georgie Animal Steel, uh, uh, Bobo Brazil. Uh, I don't know if anybody's going to know these other guys. Uh, oh, Johnny Valiant. Okay. Uh, Johnny Valiant has a brother who wrestled, Jimmy Valiant, who I actually got to work with. Were they twins? Uh, they're not twins, but Jimmy and Johnny. They he was such a cool dude. Oh my gosh! Maybe John can get me Jimmy John. Maybe Is John's name John Jimmy. No, <laughs> it's John Michael. Really? Yeah. That's so stupid. His mom named you. He named him after you. Yeah, I know. Weird. Uh. Bruno then uh, actually bought the promotion. Uh, he bought into the promotion and uh, the the uh, Pittsburgh promotion and sold it, but then bought it back again in the 70s. And 1974, he sold it to Vince Sr. when he became part of the WWF territory. WWF territory. WWW. So he became he, he made major headlines and became the first and only man to lift 600 pound haystack Calhoun and slam him that's insane uh he won the wwwf world championship title on may 17 1963 he de- defeated nature boy buddy rogers in 48 seconds he kept this title for an incredible seven years 
eight months and one day. I said it was almost eight years. Yeah. I said that earlier, and I was so right. Yeah. It was almost eight years. Now, this says it still stands as the longest continuous world title reign in wrestling history. Now, Including in the NWA, as we know, because I looked up be, in the last episode. Okay. <laughs> but the, the NWA, uh, someone had the title longer, but it switched. The title switched. It wasn't the same title. Yeah, that's why... So uh, San Martino was clearly the most popular wrestler in northeast uh, northeastern United States in the sixties and seventies. Like he would headline a show at Madison Square Gardens on a monthly basis, and they would fill out. They would sell out. Uh, he battled top heels of his day, including Killer Kowalski, uh, Giant Bubba, Gene Kin- Kiniski, Kiniski. Uh, Doctor Bill Miller, Bull Ramos. I don't know this guy. Waldo von Erich. Uh, Crusher, Johnny Valiant, the Sheik, which is the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik, yeah. Who I, I actually, he was my manager when I walked to the ring for the WC, uh, NW, what was it? Not NWA. The tag team titles. Wow. I can't remember the promotion. I'm getting old. WCW? No, it was. WCW? No. It was down in York. Down in York? NCW. NCW. That was close. I was getting there. Uh, Freddie Blassie, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, and Georgiana Mosquiel. Uh Finally, on January 18th, 1971, San Martino lost the title at Madison Square Garden to Ivan Koloff. This podcast is brought to you by Bear Claw Kitchen. Head on over to BearClawKitchen.com and check out their amazing selection of granola bars and granola snack packs. They also have hazel and spice granola butter, maple syrup, pancake mix, and a few different flavors of jam. So, once again, head over to BearClawKitchen.com and use code DELUXE15 at checkout to save 15% off your entire order. And then, it's time to devour and claw on. Uh, when when he lost that title to Ivan Koloff in 1971, the crowd was so stunned they were completely silent. <gasps> he actually thought that his hearing was damaged during the match, and the reaction of the crowd actually uh, caused them not to announce Koloff's victory to the crowd in fear that they would start a riot. Oh God! <laughs> so just like <laughs> they were like. What the what the fuck just happened? Why? Why did he lose? <laughs> like, well, he has to lose eventually, right? So, in uh, December tenth, nineteen seventy three, he regained the WWF championship, WWF championship, <clears throat> defeating Stan Stasiak. Uh, he went on to defend it uh, against like Bruiser Brody, Ken Patera, Bugsy McGraw, Baron Don Reich, uh, Ivan Koloff, Superstar Billy Graham. Uh, Nikita Koloff, who also walked me to the ring, or Volkov, who walked me to the ring. Um, his second title run lasted three years, four four months, and twenty days. In April 1976, uh, he wrestled Stan Hansen, uh, and he Stan Hansen dropped him on his neck and fractured his neck. Ow. He didn't body someone properly. Of course. Uh, 
in June 1976, WWF booked Ali versus Antonio Inoki. Inoki match. Uh, gate sales were not what they thought they would be, so they rushed San Martino to recovery and put him in a rematch against Stan Stasia. Yeah, Stasia. No. I thought it was Stan Stasiak. So Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen. Um, so they actually financially they saved the show because uh, the gate sold out as soon as. Of course, but. And they had something called closed circuit, which I guess was like pay per view. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. Closed circuits sounds like pay per view. So this is his third WWF championship reign ended April 30th, 1977, when he was defeated by superstar Billy Graham. Uh, it was a controversial ending because Billy Graham had his both feet on the ropes while he was pinning. San Martino. Yeah, that's illegal. Yeah. So, one of the most emotionally charged feuds Bruno's career uh, started in 1980 when his former student, Larry Zabisco, violently turned against him. And uh, it was broadcast on the WWF Championship Wrestling Show. I think that was the, I think that might have been a Friday night show. Uh, Bruno was shot and hurt, shocked and hurt by Zabisco's betrayal or betrayal, and he vowed to make Zabisco, who Bruno described as Judas, pay dearly. The record-setting series culminated on August 9, nineteen eighty, in front of thirty-six thousand two hundred ninety-five fans at Shea Stadium. That's nine months. Uh, as the main <clears throat> event of the, the Federation Showdown at uh, Shea Card. Bruno defeated Zabisco in a steel cage. He retired in 1981, but he had a, he had three sons. Uh, his son David, who against Bruno's wishes, wanted to be a wrestler. So Bruno came back to the WWF so that they would book his son. Yeah. If I come back, book my son. That sucks. But his son David quit <laughs> several times. Like he, he would just walk out, and his dad just kept wrestling there, hoping that if he uh. continued to work for him, his son would be in the good graces of the company. And I, I will tell you, um, when I met Bruno uh, in Hamburg, uh, he has very harsh feelings for the WWF. I can't imagine that he wouldn't. Uh, he does not like where the company has gone since uh, he left. Uh, he, he he would do a, a a motivational speech for like fifteen minutes in the ring, which is really cool. Yeah, like I like I. The funny thing was, I'm, I'm working the show at Hamburg Fieldhouse. I didn't know he was going to be there. Yeah. And I'm sitting in this this locker room, and I'm thinking, this is the same bench that Bruno San Martino sat on. This is the same bench that Hulk Hogan sat on. Yeah. And then I I, I, I look up, and Bruno San Martino walks into the <laughs> locker room. And I'm like, dude, am I in your seat? Uh, hi. <laughs> I was like a little kid. I was, I was like a little kid when I met him. Yeah. So he had a long running feud with Randy Macho Man Savage. I love Macho Man. Yeah, I did too. Uh, in 86, they, he had his last match. He teamed up with Hulk Hogan. Ver and He teamed up with Hulk Hogan versus One Man Gang and King Kong Bundy. Uh, Bundy, also another guy I got to work with. Uh, oh my God, you met Ted Bundy? No. 
it, it's that's our next episode. <laughs> Notable also in nineteen eighty six, he had one of his most memorable matches with Rowdy Roddy Piper. He died in two thousand eighteen. Uh, between nineteen eighty six and his death, he made several appearances in independent pro wrestling companies, including Ring of Honor. I had the honor of working with him on the show at the legendary Hamburg Fieldhouse when I wrestled. Uh, I chose him from one of my favorite wrestlers because of the wrestling business. I've met a lot of superstars, yeah. but I was kind of the most excited when I met him. Like he is to me, like the godfather of wrestling. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, and that was my first choice. That's a good choice. I like it. I think it's good. So, what say you on number two? Well, so as it's been previously stated here on the show, as we talk about things and things that we do in our free time and the things that we like I have a lot of positive feelings about uh, Japanese culture gaming, music you know, books, animes books, manga, you know I have, the, the Ring was a Japanese series Yeah, and that's when we did our favorite movies or when we, we did our, our, our uh, backstories. Backstories for our horror villains. That's the backstory that we, So I'm going to link that below. Uh, and so for my second choice, I, I wanted to choose a modern, like I said, I was doing modern female wrestlers, but I wanted, to, I wanted to choose, and I mean, to be very honest, this is the person that came to mind first to me when I decided that this was going to be my parameters, is Asuka. Who, Oscar, Oscar, Asuka. She's awesome. Oscar from New York. Oscar. Um, she's awesome. She when she in her vignettes and when she debuted in um, WWE, she always wore a mask on the main roster. I think she did in, in NXT as well. She always wore a mask, and it was like really really cool when she came out and she would take the mask off. And I remember her. It was a cool. She she also had the. Uh, she always had the the danglies. Yes. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. Very Japanese. Yes. Very Japanese. Like, very lucha. Like Sumi. Yes. Like Sumi. Sumi Sakai. So, so Asuka, her birth name is, or her name is, last name, first name, because it's Japanese, Urai Kanako. Kanako? Kanako. Kanako. Um, she was born in 1981 in Osaka, Japan. And she wrestled with many promotions, freelancing for a time, under the ring name Kana. Her debut was in 2004. Her debut in wrestling? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, she was signed to WWE um, under NXT in 2015. Now, if you remember, I said that Alexa Bliss debuted on the main roster in 2016. Just keep that in mind as we're going through this. So the first thing I did is I listed out the promotions. So, so was, was she an NXT wrestler too? Yes, she okay. started in NXT as well under developmental. So the first thing that I did in this list is I listed out some of the promotions that she wrestled in prior to WWE. And she de- like I said, she debuted in 2004. Many of these promotions are now defunct were kind of swallowed up by other 
promotions that might be on here. And there were one or two of them that I really couldn't find a whole lot of information about. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And since a lot of these are Japanese promotions, I figured I would talk about them a little bit. So the first promotion that she worked with was A to Z, which is also known as Major Girls Fighting. And is defunct as of 2006. I was reading that ATOZ. <laughs> yeah, like that's how I was. Baby? That's how I was too until I looked it up and was like, "Oh, it's A2Z." Okay, I got it now. Um, so that is that that went out of business two years after she debuted. She did not stay there very long. I think she was only there for a year. She, I don't think she was there for their last show. Um, the next promotion that she wrestled at was JP, JWP, which is Joshi Puroresuru, which Joshi Puroresuru is the name for women's wrestling in Japan. Puroresuru, pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Joshi is women's, or I don't know if it's women's pro wrestling or girls, you know, female, I don't know exactly what they call it because the name, the name has there's been a lot of debacle <laughs> over what female wrestlers are called in the past couple of years, like past 10 years or so. So, but Joshi Puro Esuru is what it was called, um, or what it was known as. And that is defunct as of 2017. So that one made it quite a long time, but did not quite, <laughs> Make it. Um, next, we have, it came up as Neo Japan Ladies Pro Wrestling, but that promotion under that name was defunct as of 2000. And something that I f- thought was freaking insane about this apparently, for Neo Japan Ladies Pro Wrestling, during their last show, Ino, Ino Kyoko who is another, um, she was like a really, really popular, like since the 80s, Japanese female pro wrestler in Japan. She competed in every single match on the show. Jesus. Every single match she was, I was like, what the fuck? I couldn't imagine that. So that title was defunct as of 2000. They kind of like changed or like morphed into Neo Women's Wrestling which went out of business then in 2010. So, technically, Asuka wrestled for Neo Women's Wrestling. Okay. But it came up as Neo Japan Ladies Pro Wrestling, because that was its original name, I guess. Um, Next, she was in Pro Wrestling Wave. This promotion is still alive. And if you go and you look up their former roster list, they have an impressive list of alumni. They have... I mean, now we probably, if if you're not familiar with Japanese wrestling, you probably wouldn't know many of the names, but some of them do cross over with some promotions that you might know from here. Like a lot of um, female wrestlers from Japan have worked on AEW shows. Um, A lot of them have worked on Ring of Honor shows. They have like, they have a whole, or they used to, they had like a whole like, segment of their show that was just dedicated to their female wrestlers. So, a lot of them go back and forth through there, but Pro Wrestling Wave, as far as I can see, is still active today. I've actually watched Pro Wrestling Wave. Um, she did hold a title there as well. She held several titles. 
um, in these other places. Uh, next, we have Renai Joshi Puroresiru, which I could find almost no information on. <laughs> um, the best information I could get is that they were active up until at least 2018. I didn't say any. I didn't see anything saying they were defunct. But what I did find was a lot of lucha information is given when you Google the. Reina Joshi Puro Resuru. When you Google that, a lot of lucha information, like female lucha, comes up. And I was really confused, but from everything that I could find about it, it was 100% Joshi Puro Resuru, and it was not a lucha. They might have shared talent with, like, Probably, Mexico. Yeah, I think that's what it was, because the one website that came up was all in, I believe, Spanish. But that's the best information I could find about that. So maybe they aren't the same anymore. Maybe they conglomerated with Alucha. I'm not sure, but that's the promotion. Um, the next promotion she was a part of was a Canadian promotion, which still works shows, which is Smash Wrestling, or Smash. Um, she also held a championship there. And they, like I said, are still working shows. Uh, she was a part of Wrestling New Classic. Um, this is considered the sister promotion to uh, Reina Joshi Puroresuru. But this, I did find, is defunct as of 2014. So they were considered the sister promotion. And one of them was still doing shows up until 2018. The other one closed in 2014. So I'm wondering if maybe one of them had more Lucha wrestlers. I don't know. And then they kind of, mm, I don't know. Like I've, um, I've heard of Smash, and I've heard of new, uh, Pro Wrestling Wave. Yeah, Pro Wrestling Wave I've heard of, yeah. I think I've seen a lot of videos from that, because I I tend to look up a lot of High Flyer videos, because I think they're really like cool to watch, and like they give you like that little jump in your stomach, because it's like scary. <laughs> Everybody's up in the air doing stuff. Yeah. So you, get, you do get a lot of... Uh, a lot of Japanese wrestlers, because a lot of Japanese wrestlers have that kind of style. Um, so during these runs, her achievements are as follows. These are the championships that she held, essentially. She was JWP Openweight Champ. Whoop, whoop. She was the Wave Tag Team Champ, and obviously a tag team. Whoop, whoop. And then this is the one that, <laughs> when I say that there was a lot of uh, debacle over what female wrestlers were called, this is a famous one from a couple years ago. Uh, she was also Smash Diva champ. Whoop, whoop. We don't call them divas anymore. <laughs> but uh, that that made me laugh because that's also what uh, what WWE had been calling them for years, years. I mean, probably since back in the nineties. Yeah. All of the games that I think I've ever played, all the wrestling games, it's always divas. Um, of course they stopped that now. But so when. Asuka signed on to NXT. She was the first Japanese female to be signed with the company, the entire company, in over 20 years. Wow. The last Japanese female to be signed before her was Bull Monaco in 1994. She was not signed until... Unico! <laughs> Nanako. <laughs> she was not signed until 2015, so it was, had been 21 years since they had signed a Japanese female to their roster. Literally insane. Yeah. 
And I think that uh, when I, I mentioned earlier, when you said I, I didn't watch, ja- uh, I didn't watch female wrestling much. Yeah, I do enjoy the Japanese female wrestling because it's so different. Yes, it's so different, and so we'll get into more of this information in a second here. But oh, the Mikey <laughs> meander ahead. Yeah, Mikey meander ahead. <laughs> He's meandering through. But uh, that's why I like. I like that diversity, and I wish that there, I mean, now there is more, but at the time, like, when this was happening, was a time that WWE was, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I haven't honestly watched it very much since probably 2018 or 2019, I watch it every now and then, if I can catch Raw or SmackDown or whatever on, and I guess, like, now that stuff's on Peacock. Yeah. Which I didn't know before. Get that in there. Which I didn't know before. You almost pulled that right out. Yeah, I got it. I didn't, though. Whoa. Almost. So, you have, like, this this period of time where WWE is kind of, like, in, in a lull. At the time, they were doing a lot of things with talent that didn't make sense. They were getting rid of people that it didn't make sense to. They were keeping people it didn't make sense to. Around the same time as when Shinsuke Nakamura debuted, and I kind of grazed over this. I do not like Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> He's also a Japanese wrestler, and I just, I didn't like his gimmick. It made me really dislike him, but everyone else loved him, <laughs> and I don't know why. So, I feel like she came in a good time, and she's still wrestling with them, so that's good. So, Asuka's a baller. And, of course, she won the NXT Women's Championship. She holds the longest run in history, which is 510 days. That's one year, four months, three weeks, and two days. What, what? Which is nine days longer than <laughs> that guy that you mentioned. Um, so, when she was finally moved to the main roster in 2017, which is two years after she debuted on NXT, whereas Alexa Bliss and Bailey, who were also two notable female wrestlers that moved to the main roster around a similar time, each had three years under their belt in NXT before they were debuted. So I'm like, when she was finally debuted to the main roster in 2017, I just remember everyone thinking, it's about time. Like, it's about fucking time. Like, when you think about it, she was only there for, it was like a little over a year. <laughs> like a little over a year. And, like I said, the likes of Billy Jane and Alexa Bliss were both there for about three years each. So it just goes to show you exactly how good she is, because everybody's like, oh my god. Like, it, it was almost kind of sad, because you just felt like she was outperforming all these other, you know, all this other good talent. There aren't, like, too many, I mean, female wrestlers, good female wrestlers can be hard to come by. Yes. And I have the same feeling, whereas, like, I usually just don't like watching a whole lot of female wrestling, which is why I decided to choose two female wrestlers that I really enjoy watching. But she was just outperforming everyone, even people who were not necessarily you know, performing badly. 
Like, I just feel like she stepped everybody up. Like, she was just so much better than everybody else. So we were all just kind of relieved when she finally went to main roster. Because we were like, are they just going to keep her down here in this stupid, you know, two-year-long run with this dumb NXT championship? Well, you know, part of the problem could have been that she was too good for her own good. And, you know, that might have been it, too. If they, if they took her up, who is she going to compete against? And she's just going to outshine everybody. And she already did. And well, they, they might have had storylines in progress that they, they didn't want to... And I think that was part of the problem. But it, it always... Whenever they move somebody to the main roster, it kind of feels like, well, fuck the NST. Or, hang on, NST. NXT roster, you know, like, fuck their storylines. That's always how it's felt, which is a shame. And there are some people, like, after this debacle happened, where everybody was just kind of like... Like, people were literally so angry, they were, like, going to Twitter and being like, Move Oscar. You moved Bailey. Move Oscar. And it was a what the hell moment. Like why why are we still waiting? So since we know she's so awesome, I love her so much. She's awesome. She went to the main roster in twenty seventeen. She also became a triple crown champ. Where again Bailey and Alexa Bliss had already been on the main roster for probably two years by this point, by the time that they got the, almost three years. They were there for a year longer than her because uh, she became Triple Crown Champ. Of course we know we need to have that tag team. The tag team that she faced was Alexa Bliss's tag team. So she took the title that got Alexa Bliss, Triple Crown Champ, like as soon as she possibly could, pretty much. She took the title that got Alexa Bliss her Triple Crown Champion to get her own Triple Crown Champion pretty much as soon as she could. So she debuts in August 2019. Asuka teamed up with Kyrie Sane in her debut. Kyrie Sane is another uh, really good female Japanese wrestler. At this point, I wasn't really watching a whole lot, honestly. Um, after 2018, it just kind of felt like. There was a, like I said earlier, like the, they just do the talent dirty so much. And it just gets hard to watch sometimes. <laughs> Watching them being put in, you know, matches that you don't think that they belong in, or, you know, whatever it might be. And that's everybody's opinion. Which is why, you know, if I wasn't enjoying it, I don't have to watch it at that point. Right. So I wasn't watching it for a while. So she did team up with Kyrie Sane, and I have watched Kyrie Sane wrestle. I think she's pretty good. The tag team was known as the Kabuki Warriors. I actually remember the Kabuki Warriors. I think I'd probably send videos of them, too, because they had the masks and stuff, I'm pretty sure. And I think that's really cool. So they did lose the first, the first, the first match to the Iconics in August. Uh, yes, August. They immediately took a hiatus. <laughs> and again, the Iconics are Alexa Bliss and Nikki, Nikki Cross. So after they lose this match, they immediately take a hiatus. They return in September. They had a match with, I don't remember who it was, but they had one match. And then in October of that same year, they took the titles from the Iconics. There were some very, very good matches in all of the rivalries that I've seen Asuka in, including the crappy, shitty ones that we might not have enjoyed as much. Maybe we did, who knows, in NXT. They were all good matches. And she is, and I don't know if it stems from being a native speaker of a different language. 
but she's just a very like stoic and I like she doesn't talk a lot like she's very stoic and quiet in that way where like maybe she was considered a heel sometimes because it's it's one of those things where it's just like I just got out of this you know like one and a half year championship reign and I'm gonna take another one is kind of how it felt when when she stepped up onto the main roster and she's still going strong she's still wrestling for them she's still um doing some great stuff you can still find uh really good videos and stuff i have to find some of the ones from uh before wwe to show you because they were it's just insane like the kind of stuff that you can do you can't really do in wwe no no and i've watched some japanese female and, and japanese wrestling to begin with. It, it's just it's so different it's so different it's almost like slow at first, like that strong style. Like Shinsuke Nakamura does that. <sighs> so slow. Well, that's when I met uh, Eddie Guerrero. He basically told me that if if I went to Japan, like I would be a big thing over there because Vader was huge because he was a big guy who could actually wrestle. He could move. Right. Hey, Tiki Dog, he's annoying me. I don't know what he's he's crying. I don't know what he's crying about. And he's not gonna get it. Um, but that is my uh, that's my second my second gal. So my number two <laughs> uh, actually fits in with my number one is another legendary wrestler who has passed now. Um, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, of course. And I, I I just saw this today. Do you remember? Uh, the movie uh, Grown Ups? Yes. So when they're all sitting at the pool and that buff guy comes walking over to the ladies? Yeah. Where does he say he's from? He says from Saskatoon. Yeah. He says Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Yeah. Uh, so Rowdy Roddy Piper was born April 17th, 1954. I only know how to pronounce those because uh, I have watched this YouTuber for like a decade that's from Saskatoon. <laughs> I'm sure that's where that guy said he was from. So if I'm wrong, leave a comment. <laughs> Roast him. Uh, Roderick George Toombs was his born name. Uh, he started professional wrestling at the age of 15 in Win Winnipeg uh, against Larry Hennig in the AWA, and he lost his first match in 10 seconds. Big ouch. Uh, his friends played the bagpipes during his entrance. <laughs> Well, he was handing out dandelions. I don't know why he'd hand out. I don't, I don't get that. Uh, meanwhile, the ring announcer had to announce something, but he didn't know anything about the kid that was coming out to the ring. All he's he, just like this kid. Yeah, all he knew was the, the guy playing the bagpipes. His name was Roddy. So he, he announced, ladies and gentlemen, here comes Roddy the Piper. <laughs> and that gave birth to his name, Roddy Piper. Uh, from 1973 to 1975, Piper was a jobber in the AWA uh, and NWA Central States Territory in Kansas City. Um, much like San Martino, he had a background in amateur wrestling. He was also a boxer. He won the Golden Gloves Championship, and he had a black belt in judo. So he's no slouch. Like he, no. he knows his shit. I, I believe, and many other people agree with me, he may have been the greatest heel pro in pro wrestling ever of all time. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2005. 
uh, through the 70s, he was a jobber, like I said, uh, in AWA, NWA, and Von Erich's big time wrestling. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Where he cemented his heel persona. Like, he perfected it there. Piper was, by 1975, he was a top villain in NWA Hollywood wrestling. Uh, in 77, he started working for uh, NWA San Francisco, as well as continuing with NWA Hollywood, and he became one of the most hated villains. He had a long-time feud with Chavo Guerrero Sr. Uh, Piper would come to the ring playing Mexican, the next Mexican National Anthem oh on the bagpipes. God. And he would continuously insult the Mexican community. And, like, L.A. Very is very high. heavy in Mexican yeah. population. Yeah. Uh, during the three years of this feud, the entire Guerrero family stood against Piper. And Piper would wear a Conqueror of Guerrero's t-shirt to the ring. Uh, they had a hair match, and Piper lost it. And he had to shave his head. He also lost a loser must leave town match. Uh, <laughs> what happened was the next day he shows up under a hood as the masked Canadian. Oh my God. So his first match back, first televised match, the masked Canadian <laughs> teams up with Chavo against the American tag team champions. So, uh, of course, later in the match, he turned on Chavo. Of course. And they, they started feuding. Uh, after several months, the masked Canadian was unmasked by Hector Guerrero. Uh, uh, 78, he left the Southern California promotion, or the California promotions, and he went to the Pacific Northwest Territory, where he teamed up with Tim Brooks, Rick Martell, and Mike Popovich uh, to win the NWA Northwest Tag Team Champion over Lord Jonathan Boyd, and Playboy, but Playboy Buddy Rose. So it, these are these are names that are historic in in a uh, wrestling. Right. So in seventy nine or eighty, I'm not sure which it was. He ventured into the Mid Atlantic territory, and he beat Jack Briscoe for the Mid Atlantic title, and then Ric Flair for the U.S. title belt, which turned into a huge feud. Good. Uh, they say he showed up late for a show. And he got fired and then was blackballed. Now, people dispute this, but he wrote this in his book. Yeah. That he, this is what happened. He bumped around for a while working other historic NWA territories, but he eventually moved back to Jim Crockett Promotions, which uh, his territory had a bunch of different promotions. They were all billed as Jim Crockett Promotions, but on their uh, on their posters and tickets, they would have these different names, and one was Championship Wrestling, one was All-Star Wrestling, one was East Coast Wrestling, one was Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Sports, Wide World Wrestling. I remember that. NWA Pro Wrestling, Worldwide Wrestling, uh, NWA Worldwide Wrestling. That's so weird. And NWA World Championship Wrestling. So, uh, he just used all those names... I guess marketing wise in different areas. Uh, Piper feuded with greats like Sergeant Slaughter, Ric Flair, Greg the Hammer Valentine. The Valentine feud culminated in a dog collar match at the very first Starcade. That's amazing. Uh, 
during this match, he got, Piper got hit in the head with the, the chain from the dog collar, mm. and it broke his eardrum, and it caused Piper to lose his fifty uh, percent of his hearing permanently in that in that ear. Um, in nineteen eighty four ish, I say, Vince Man the Younger, uh, Vince Junior, uh, contacted Piper to come to WWF full time. Piper said, "I'll come, but right now it'll only be part time because I want to." I want to finish serving out my contract with Jim Crockett. He's been good to me, which he did. So, uh, 83 and 84-ish, uh, he was running dates in both WWF mm-hmm. and Crockett's promotion. Uh, Piper started as a manager due to his injury uh, with uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Uh, later that same year, in 1984, uh, he was given the interview segment, Piper Fit, <laughs> which... Anybody who has listened to this show, two episodes ago, two episodes ago, and I'm going to tell the story again because it's my story. I'll tell it if I want. Um, he became part of uh, he he became a, a part an iconic part of '80s pro wrestling. Like you can't think of the '80s without thinking of Rowdy Roddy Piper or Piper's Pit. Uh, one of the guests on Piper's Pit. Or one of the earliest guests on Piper's was Greg DeHammer Valentine, who had just arrived in WWF. Now, it, it's rare now, then, and always for WWF to talk about feuds that happened between wrestlers before they came to WWF. But uh, they made a rare reference to the history um, that they had together in rival organizations be- prior to their, their stint with WWF. And they hinted at maybe rekindling that feud. Okay. But nothing ever came of it. Uh, the most iconic Piper's pet was that when Jenny, Jimmy Superfly Snooka interview, oh my where Piper started to insult Snooka's Polynesian heritage, bringing out pineapples, bananas, and dropping coconuts onto the table. And he said, Here, let me make you feel at home. Uh, he smashed a coconut over Snooka's head and smashed a banana in his face. He then whipped Snooka with his belt. This started a long time feud between the two, and from from what I remember about this happening, is Snooker didn't know it was going to happen. Oh, and it was kind of impromptu, and he really uh, got hurt, like not physically hurt that he couldn't walk or anything, but just you know, like what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, but like, ow. when this happened, I was in the crowd this night. <laughs> And I was sitting just to the side of Piper's pit. And it, it just so happened that Lovebug was sitting on the other side of Piper's pit. We didn't know each other. We found us out uh, telling the story at the training center. But uh, I actually got coconut juice on me <laughs> that night from the smashing of the coconut over Superfly's head. The smashing of the coconut. Um, this was not the, f- the last time he smashed a coconut either. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, God. So Piper also insulted Bruno San Martino, which led to a feud between the, the two, ending in a steel cage match, which Piper lost. Of course. Uh, Piper, Piper and Hogan uh, had what will become one of the greatest feuds in wrestling history. It involved Cindy Lauper. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper kicked her in the head. Oh, my God. And then Piper attacked Captain Lou Albano. <sighs> and Hogan was the ultimate babyface, and this was an injustice that had to be uh, recompense. They, they, he had to seek revenge on this, and he did. Yeah. 
1985, an MTV broadcast, The War to Settle the Score, uh, featured a main event matchup between Piper and Hogan. Hogan came to the ring with Lou Albano, Cindy Lauper, and Mr. T. Why was Mr. T there? Uh, Mr. T was doing stuff in and out of wrestling at the time. Uh, this this angle eventually set up a WrestleMania two boxing match between Mr. T and Piper, which Piper lost by DQ because he body slammed Mr. T. Uh, Piper's pit was like a key to setting up a lot of different angles over the years. And it, it was key to setting up the Hogan-Andre the Giant feud. And it's one of the most... Well, that match between the two is one of the most memorable matches in the, at WWF. When Hogan picks up Andre the Giant and body slams. It's so insane to think about that because uh, Andre the Giant was like seven feet tall. But what happened here was, was weird. Um, Hogan had won something. And he was getting a trophy for, for something. And they did it on Piper's Pit. And Andre the Giant came out to congratulate him. And when he, he was shaking his hand, he like squoze Hogan's hand a little too hard. Well, Hogan, you know, thinking, well, maybe he's a little jealous. Um, I'm going to congratulate him on something. So he gets he gets uh, Andre a trophy. And the trophy's just a little bit smaller than his. And I, I guess Andre gets pissed off, and that's where the feud started. Which I thought was funny as shit. It's like such a... Simple feud, but it's like so believable. So in nineteen ninety two at the Royal Rumble, uh Piper defeated the Mountie for his first and only Intercontinental Championship, which he lost shortly after to Bret Hart. Uh for the next few years, Piper was in and out of WWF. He did some different roles, Piper's Pits, uh some commentary. Uh and in ninety six at Halloween Havoc, Piper joined WCW. And rekindled the feud with Hogan. Uh, yeah, because Hulk Hogan was also going back and forth. Yeah, that, that's the time when, when Hogan jumped over before the buyout. Once the buyout happened, he came back. and uh, So Piper joined forces with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen to battle the NWL. Uh, which was Hogan at the time. Right. Uh, he then had a short feud with Flair. Uh, and then he faded. Uh, in October 97, he returned to WCW, faced Hogan in a steel cage. And over the next few years, he was, again, in and out, different roles. They were doing, oh, no, they weren't doing it there. But uh, he goes to another organization, does a Piper's Pit there. Uh, when WCW sold to WWF, which is the darkest time in pro wrestling history, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, Piper returned to WWE in 2003, again feuding with Hogan. <laughs> and then, uh, if anybody remembers Rikishi, I remember Rikishi. Uh, he was supposedly a relative because they're both Islanders, Polynesian, of Su Superfly Snuka. Piper smashed a coconut over Rikishi's head, and I think Rikishi paid him back with with something. I think he smashed a coconut over Piper's head and I paid him back with blood. Yeah, uh, Piper did an interview with HBO Real Sports with Brian Gumble, where Piper discussed the darker side of the wrestling business. After which, WWE decided to stop using Piper because he was not under contract. He was just on a day-to-day -day basis. So Piper claimed that HBO took some of his comments out of context and it made wrestling work worse than it really was. And I think that was the interview where they were talking about steroid use and, and stuff like that. Probably. This is like the early 2000s. Yeah. So that's like 
I mean, that's a time when that's not what's, came what's Jeff Hardy doing? Yeah. So, uh, 2004, Piper appeared on TNA Total Nonstop Action with some Piper's Pit segments. He had a feud with Vince Russo that spilled over to be a little bit more legit than anyone would have expected. Uh, they got ugly. Now, I don't really remember this. I didn't watch a whole lot of TNA. Uh, but uh, apparently it got nasty. Uh, Piper in 2005 was inducted into WWE Hall of Fame. And he wrestled at uh, Wrestle Reunion. It was Piper, Jimmy Valiant, and Superfly Snuka teaming up against Colonel De Beers, Cowboy Bob Orton, and Playbo- Playboy Buddy Rose. Uh, Piper was brought back into the WWF fold. Had some mini feuds with the Ortons, uh, Cowboy Bob and Randy Orton. Uh, that ran over the next year. Randy Orton. On and off. Over the next eight years, Piper would make appearances, get involved with different things, but never made any long runs. It's my opinion that he was being used by WWE because they were bleeding viewership since Vince bought the WCW. Uh, there was no competition anymore. WWE got stale. And they leaned on the old-timers to excite viewers again. Uh, but it, but they never stuck with it. They wanted to have that new wave form of, of wrestling that they had going on. And they just never held to it. Uh, they wanted to raise up the younger wrestlers, which is nothing wrong with that. No, but, but like if... Understand it was the storylines, the good storylines. It was the feuds. And it was the characters that made WWE, it wasn't big muscles and jumping off the top rope. Right. Uh, until 2015, uh, it, it was when it was announced that Piper was no longer under contract with WWE. Uh, July 31st, 2015, at age 61, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the greatest villain ever in the history of pro wrestling, he died in his sleep of cardiac arrest. So, um, I, I think I picked two people who had a huge impact on the business itself. Yeah. And you picked two people who have a huge impact on women's wrestling. I do. I did. And I mean, like, that's not to say that they're the first ones who have ever made an impact. Like, like we mentioned China, we mentioned, uh, Lita. I mean, even Stephanie McMahon tried to do her part. Not very well. Uh, she, she does it as an executive, like it, it like even in, in she's not of, supposed to be good in front of a camera. She does the executive role, and I, yes, I, I always appreciated that. I, it needs to be done by someone, and I think with Vince, Vince doesn't really appear anymore. He's also going old and senile, but that could be part of it. I think they just need someone from the family to be forefront. I always liked Vinnie Mac. I always liked him. I there was a part of me that wish Shane would have gotten or Shane O'Mac, not Vinnie Mac. Yeah, Shane, Shane O'Mac. Yeah. I there always was, liked Shane. There was a part of me that wish Shane would have gotten it because part of the brand split was a Shane versus Stephanie thing. Was yeah. the, the part of the brand split that we just talked about the second brand split. I was, I don't know if the first one was like that too, but it it was a uh, a Shane versus Stephanie thing. So like it was supposed to be like whoever's better gets the company. And I guess Stephanie was just better. But I think Stephanie was only better because the idea... I think Vince always kind of wanted to hand it off to Stephanie and Triple H. 
I think that was just the idea, like the thing. And but I don't know. Like they'll they'll still bring they they would they were still bringing Shane out sometimes, and it was you wouldn't know, and then it would be Shane money money money. Yeah, I I actually. I actually enjoy watching him work. The last time I watched a WrestleMania was when he came. Remember? But yeah, it was the one. Wasn't there wasn't it a steel cage match? Yeah, yeah, he was on top of the cage. Yeah, I, I just think he has done a lot for the family. He was quick. Yeah, he was maneuverable. He had a good maneuverability. I think he was he was a pretty decent wrestler. But you know, we we talked about why we picked the wrestlers we picked. It could have been a hundred other guys. Yeah. And for different reasons. If I wouldn't have put such a stringent guideline down for myself, there could have been like a thousand people in here. Right. Well, like you so you made your guideline uh, female wrestlers. Right. I made my guideline who impacted the business. And you. Yeah. The most. And, and Roddy Roddy Piper and uh, Bruno San Martino. Uh, absolutely did it for me. If I would have chosen people that impacted the business, I would have chosen The Rock because I love The Rock. <laughs> and I think out of every wrestler from my youth, he's probably my all-time favorite. Like, any WWE wrestler. I'd love to know who Bob would have picked. I would have too. I feel like because he's, he's, the, were, he's in the mindset of me with... with you would probably have some answers. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah. So I would have told him what to think. <laughs> and he'd be like, yep, 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 you're right, you're right, Mikey. <laughs> I love Bob. So, uh, we took on our favorite wrestlers all time. Uh, now you go take on the world. Our podcasts exist because of listeners like you. To find other great shows, head over to the Den Dot Show. Thanks for listening. Hold on, stop. Welcome back to the Shit Show 2.0. Okay, Boomer. Damn millennials. Wow. <laughs> Did not know that. Even flirvers who were who obviously mentally ill. You want to be my wife? Oh, this is going to go downhill real quick.